Hello, and welcome to the Clearfort Community Church Podcast. Our hope with this podcast is that you would be encouraged by the weekly teaching from God's Word, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. To learn more about Clearfort Community Church, go to clearfortchurch.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Clearfort Church. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Well, good morning. We are officially in Christmas. Are y'all good with that? All right. That's great. Well, we're glad you're here. After the service, we want you to know we'd love you to stick around. We've got cookies, homemade cookies. These are some men, some women, and maybe some men. I'm not, I'm not sure, but some men might have been a part of that. Uh, bake some cookies for us afterwards. So stick around, grab some more coffee, and, and join us. I also want to give a shout out. If you're single in the room, so not married, if you're single, would you just uh, stand up for me right, right now? Yeah, stand up, singles. All right. Let's give them a big hand. All right, thank you. I just wanted to give a shout out to our singles group and uh, uh, Michael and Laura who have been leading that. It's grown from five uh, singles to about 30. They're not dumb. They're not dumb, are they? And uh, so seriously, guys, we're, we're glad that you're here and glad that you're a part of what we're doing. You have some, a lot of energy around the, the church, so thank you for that. So we're looking this morning at God with us. I want you to turn on the backside of your scripture there, and, and you know these scriptures, but on the backside of that, we're talking about the first coming of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, written 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years, Isaiah was looking for this coming Messiah. And then in Matthew 1, 21 through 23, 700 years later, after the birth of Christ, this was written. She will bear a son, and you, will, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, looking back to Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That's the hope that we have, that God is with us. And God is with us now through the power of the Spirit of God, that He lives within us. If you put your faith in Christ, that you have that promise. And so as we look this morning at Isaiah 64, I want to give you a little background so that you'll know what's going on here. In the Old Testament, as they were looking forward, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, as God was revealing to them things that were going to happen and gave them words to write down that, again, foretell of the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So sometimes you'll be reading in Isaiah and in the same book or even in the same chapter, sometimes it will refer to things. It will be a foreshadowing. It'll be a, a symbol or some writing. You say, hey, that's talking about the first coming of Christ. And then just a few verses or a few chapters later, it's like, hold on a minute. That's not the first coming. That's really more representative of the second coming. It's as if you were in Colorado and you're looking at a mountain range. And from a long way away, it's like those mountains are like right next to each other. And then maybe you hike up that first mountain and you go, whew. We said we were going to do two of these, right? 
There's no way. That's a long way away. That's miles and miles and miles away. There's no way we're going to be able to hike both of those peaks. Okay. So as you're looking at a mountain range, they look like they're side by side, but really they're a long way away. And so from the Old Testament, the prophet's perspective, they're looking at the first coming and the second coming almost as one thing or very close together. And yet we know that they are separate by thousands of years. But so Isaiah here in Isaiah 64, he's a prophet in the Old, Old uh, Testament. He is writing during the divided kingdom. So the, the people of Israel were together. There was unity. God was working in their midst. You know the story of being led out of Egypt into the promised land. And the people of God have David. They have Saul. They have David. They have Solomon. And then there was a divided kingdom. Okay, There was Israel in the north and there was Judah in the south. And that's when Isaiah is writing. During that time, around 722, uh, Israel had abandoned God. They had turned their backs on God. They were doing their own thing and going their own way, and they were conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And, and again, uh, this is when Isaiah is writing, and he can see the proverbial writing on the wall for Judah as well, because although they're more faithful than Israel, they're not very faithful either. And so he can see that there's something coming on the horizon, and he actually prophesies that's going to happen. It does happen in 586 B.C. The Babylonians come in and they conquer Judah. And so, uh, you know, Isaiah is looking around him at, a, at once a, a nation that was following after God. And God was with them and they sensed his presence and he did awesome things among them. And now he's looking around at kind of a, a disjointed and disunity and all kind of chaos that's going on around him. Does that sound kind of familiar? And he looks at that and he says, and, he, and he's writing Isaiah 64 in light of that. And, and that's when God is revealing to him, hey, I'm doing something. I am working. I am at work. I am going to send a Savior. And so that's where we are with Isaiah. So let's look together at Isaiah 64. You're going to see that I broke it up into three different sections there for a reason. So let's read this together, Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Isaiah He's going before God, and this is a prayer. And he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. He's saying, God, would you, would you tear open the heavens and would you come down and be with us that the mountains would tremble before you? As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, God, would you do something? He's saying, come down to make your name known to, the enemy, to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things, so he's looking back on what had happened in Israel's past. You did awesome things in the past. We did not expect those things. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard and no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him and wait for him. For you come to help those who gladly do right who remember your ways. And then he transitions. The, the transitional word there is but. Man, God, this is the way you are. This is, this is your character. You help those who wait on you. You love us. You, you gladly help those who do want to do right. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? How can we be saved? And that, that directs us, as we'll see, to the first birth. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. 
We all shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all at work, we are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Let's pray together. God, would you prepare our hearts to hear your word and to respond to your word? God, would you help us to make this prayer our prayer for us individually and for us as a church body, that God, that you would do a great work among us this morning? So God, we trust you. We love you. We thank you for this Christmas season that gives us hope for the future when you come again. So just to ask the Lord to speak to you as we open his word, as we expand on his word. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, it is Christmas time. What are, what are some of your favorite Christmas traditions? You think about that for a minute. What are some things that you enjoyed growing up? Some things that you did, maybe some traditions that you had in your home, or memories that you have. What are some of your favorite memories that you've had of Christmas over the past? I, my mom really loved Christmas. My dad did too, but my mom was probably more into it than my dad was. And so we had some traditions. I'm going to be a little cryptic here, but, but we, had, uh, we, we celebrated Santa. And so we would leave out cookies for Santa, and we'd leave out milk for Santa. And then we'd wake up the next morning, and the milk would be three-quarters of the way gone. And the, the cookie crumbles, there would be crumbles all over the place. And he would have written, Santa wrote us a note. It was amazing. He wrote a note to us and said, hey, uh, thanks for the cookies. Sorry for the mess. I was in a big hurry. And so every Christmas, something like that was written on this note. And so my mom loved that kind of stuff. And, and we had uh, vinyls. We played vinyls on a stereo console. My parents were so ahead of their time. They were so cool. They were playing vinyls back before. Well, you get that, right? They were playing vinyls on the stereo console, and that was a tradition that we had. And another tradition we'd have, we'd do this, this uh, paper chain, and 25 days uh, for the paper train. And as, as a kid, you know, you come in every morning, you get to tear off a paper chain all the way down to until it's one day before Christmas. All of that was to set us up for the anticipation of what Christmas was, right? You see, that's what hope really is. Chances are you've had some great Christmas memories. Chances are you've had some hard Christmas memories as well, right? But hope for believers is not, I, I hope this happens. It's not, it's, it's not, I hope that something happens. It is more like the paper chain hope. It is anticipation that it is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. I never asked the question, is Christmas going to happen? It was going to happen. It was just a matter of those chains going down from 25 all the way to 1. And when we talk about the second coming of Christ, that's the hope that we have. It's not, I hope it happens. I pray that it happens. I think it's going to happen. No, it is going to happen. We just don't have the chains to kind of mark it down until it does come. But he is coming again. That is hope. So hope is not like a don't worry, be happy. It's, it, that's not the hope that we're talking about. It's not like a candy cane or, a, or a, a, you know, cotton candy type of hope. Hope is a deep work of God grounded in your current reality. 
So it's not putting off and, and acting like things don't happen, acting like bad things don't happen. It is grounded in your current reality. Looking for the glimpse of good and holding on to the future reality God has promised. This is the meaning and the focus of the first advent. That's what we're looking to is the hope that we have in Christ. In this world that God will act on our behalf, that God is intimately involved with his people, that we have hope in the midst of the things that are going on right now in our lives in the same way that Isaiah had hope that even in the midst of the chaos that he had hope for himself and for his family and for the people around him. But he also had this hope that no, this is not my home. This is as bad as it gets but God is going to do something in the future. That's the hope that we have. And so I want to point out three things here out of Isaiah 64. The first is that, that uh, Isaiah is longing for and he's remembering the presence and the power and the provision of God. He's remembering that and he's asking for that. He's crying out for that. Listen, do you cry out for the presence of God in your life? Do you seek the Lord and say, God, without you, I am nothing? You see, that's what Isaiah is doing here. He's saying, oh, God, have you ever been in a place where you're so desperate for God that you're saying, oh, God, I've got to have you. I've got to have you as my next breath. That's how Isaiah is saying this. Notice here he says, oh, it's like he's aching within. And then you see the exclamation point at the end of that sentence. That's the indication that this is intense, Okay. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. That's, that's his cry out to God. God, would you come down? Would you be present with us? Would you make yourself known to us? And so he's asking for the presence of God. Do you know as believers that you have the presence of God with you always? That the Spirit of God in the New Testament, now that we've accepted Christ, He gave us the Spirit of God, and He is with us no matter where we go, whatever we're doing, the Spirit of God lives within you, but you can kind of stiff arm the Holy Spirit. You can stiff arm God and give Him the Heisman, right? You can tell Him no, and so a lot of us do that, but when you cry out to God and say, God, I need you, Spirit of God, I need you, that's what Isaiah is doing here. Do you do you seek him that way? There are times when I have. There are times in my life when things get so hard that I finally capitulate and say, you know what, I can't do this on my own. It's like, hey, maybe that's where I should have been all the way all along, right? You ever get to a place where you're like, man, you're, you're, you're gripping it hard. You're trying to make it happen. And then you finally get to the place where you're like, I'm just not going to be able to do this. And you go, oh, God. Would you come down? Would you be with me? Would you give me insight? Give me wisdom. Help me through this. Get me through this situation, through this loss, through whatever it might be in your life. When you finally get to the end of yourself, like Isaiah did, then you cry out for the presence of God. Guess what? We can live in the presence of God every day so that we don't have to get to the end of our rope, but he simply is there with us if we seek him. So we're longing, he's longing for the presence of God. Basically, we're saying, God, we need you. God with us. God, we need you with us. And then second, he's longing for the power of God. Read with me in verse 2. It says, And when, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known 
to your enemies. He's saying, God, would you come down and make yourself known? I want your presence with me. And, and usually we want God's power and his provision. We skip over his presence. We, we just want him to do something on our behalf. But you notice the, the kind of progression here. It's, God, I need your presence with me. Regardless of you do anything on my behalf, I simply need you with me. And man, there's some comfort of just having people with you. You ever been in a hospital and you just have your, your wife or your spouse or a friend or coworker or someone just comes and sits with you? Man, there's some comfort just in another human being with you. There's a lot of comfort when you sense the Spirit of God that's with you in His presence and being asking for His presence first and then saying, God, but I also need your power. I need you to see me through this surgery. I need you to get through me through this crisis. I need to see you at work. I need to see you tangibly working in my life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking God, I want to see you tangibly working in my life. He may not do exactly what you want to do. In fact, in fact, he is not at your bidding. You're at his bidding, right? But you can ask and say, God, I want you. I'm asking you. And that's what Isaiah is doing here is simply asking God, to act on his behalf. So he, he's longing for the presence of God, but he's also longing for the power of God and ultimately for the provision of God, providing for him. So it says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. And then it goes on, You came to help those who gladly do right. When your heart is attuned to God and you're saying, God, I want to do your will. I am here to do your will. I am open. I have my hands open to you. I want to follow you. It says he gladly comes to help those who want to do what he's asking them to do. He's going to live within you. In fact, I've said many times, and you'll hear this many times in the future, the Christian life is not hard. It is it's impossible. The Christian life's not hard. The Christian life is impossible apart from the Spirit of God living in you to fulfill what He's asking you to do. And that's what God is saying. That's what Isaiah is saying here is you act on behalf. You work in us to fulfill and to do and to make things happen in us and through us that we can't make happen in and of ourselves. So God wants to act on behalf of those who gladly serve Him. Look on with, with me on the back of your page there. Isaiah 41. This is another Isaiah, <clears throat> earlier in 41, says, Fear not. Anybody living in fear this morning? Anybody living in anxiety this morning? He says, Fear not. Don't be anxious. I'm not rebuking. I'm just saying that he's saying, Hey, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who says to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Anybody need that this morning? Would you pray that and make that your prayer this morning? Say, God, I need your help. I'm, I'm basing it on your scripture that Isaiah looked for your help, and I'm looking for your help to see me through this time of fear or anxiety or loss or whatever it might be. So he's a longing for the presence, the provision, and the power of God. But in the second stanza there, he's, he's lamenting 
the sin and rebellion and apathy of the people of God. He's, he's lamenting what has happened to the nation. He's lamenting what's happened to Israel in the north and what's going to happen to Judah in the south as the people of God have turned their back on God. And he's lamenting that. And he says, but, and every time you see a but in scripture, you need to circle that, right? Circle that and go, hey, he's making a transition from the first thought to saying, hey, God, you gladly help those who do right, but... But when we continue to sin, when we continue to rebel against you, when we continue to do our own thing, you, you were angry about that. How then can we be saved? So he's lamenting the sin and apathy that, that angers God. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. Why does God get angry at sin? Is God angry at us or is he angry at sin? And God is angry at sin. Why is God angry at sin? Because sin destroys relationships. Sin destroys friendships, right? Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys communities. Sin destroys uh, churches. That's why God is so against sin. That's why he's angry at sin, because it brings hurt and chaos. Now, when you've been on the receiving side of that, you're like, amen. Sin does bad things. Sin is hurtful. Sin hurts things. It destroys things. But when you're on the giving side, it's like, well, it's not that big a deal, right? But God is angry when we continue to rebel against him and do our own thing because he sees the pain that's coming down the track. He sees the writing on the wall. He sees the pain that you don't see that sin is going to bring into your life. And so that's why he's angry at sin. I said last week, just remind you, Rules, God's rules are for our good. When you, when you begin to walk with Christ for a long time, you begin to go, man, I love God's law. I, I love his rules. I love the way he, he keeps me between the hedges. I am so thankful that he is looking out for me. And I said last week, what is a football game or what is a basketball game or what is a board game, right? You're going to play some board games over Christmas. What if everybody just says, hey, I'm going to play this card game any way I want to? So I don't care what you say. I'm just going to do it my way. And there are no rules in this game. Before you're along, you're like, hey, I'm out of this game. I don't, I don't, I'm not playing this. What if you watch the football game? We watched uh, Alabama beat Georgia yesterday. My wife was, she's lamenting this morning uh, over the loss of the Bulldogs. She went to University of Georgia. So pray for her this morning. Be, be with her. She does love her football. I got to give her that. So uh, and, and, but we watched yesterday. Can you imagine if Alabama just said, hey, we're going to play the Alabama way, and Georgia says, we're going to play the Georgia way. I don't know what that would look like, but it, what would the, this no rules. There's no boundary. There's no field. There's no 10 yards. There's none of that. There are just no rules. Eventually, you kind of lose interest in the game because there's nothing going on out there that really makes sense. It's all chaotic. You see, that's why God lays down rules, because he loves us. Because he wants us to have meaning. He wants us to have purpose in life. He wants us to, to have purpose in the life that we're living in this time, in this age. He wants us to have meaning. And so he gives us rules to bring about meaning in our life. And that's why so many people are not finding meaning in this life. Because it's so chaotic. And the rules, there are no rules anymore. And yet God says, I hate that. Why do I hate that? Because it just brings pain. It brings pain and brokenness and all kinds of other stuff that I don't want you to experience. But I want you to notice one other thing in this buts, uh, this uh, 5, 6, and 7, 5B, 6, and 7. Notice how many times he says we. I want you to circle this. So if you have your, your notes with you there, 
circle we and us and all, all of those that are in there, but we continue to sin. How can then we be saved? All of us. And then we have all shriveled up like a leaf. All those times he says we, Isaiah's not pointing fingers. He's not saying you and you and you and you. You're all the problem. He's saying, hey, it's us. It's we. Guess what? We're all in this together. The scripture says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us can point fingers at anyone else because we've all failed in so many different ways. So we can't point fingers. We're all in this need of God together. And we all ought to be asking, how then can we be saved, right? That's what Isaiah says. Hey, if we keep doing our own thing and going our own way, how can we be saved? And that points us to the first coming of Christ. That points to the Savior and the whole reason that Jesus came in the first place is that he came as a babe in a manger to live a perfect life, to die, to be crucified, to give his life on our behalf that we might, that the anger of God might be poured out on his son rather than the anger of God being poured out on us. So every time we sin, every time we do our own thing, every time we go our own way and do whatever we want to, and we say, God, would you forgive me? Why are we forgiven? Because we're good people? Because we change things and, make, and we do right? No, we're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. That's the whole purpose of the first come. That's why it's celebrated. is because everything that we deserved, Christ got on our behalf. And when we put our faith in him, we say, he paid my sin penalty for me. The anger of God is no longer on me. It's, it's been poured out on his own son that he gave his life for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Christmas season. Amen? And that's the good news of the gospel. So he laments the, the, uh, the sin and anger and, that brings anger to God. And then number two, he sin and apathy saps our life. So number two, look with me as it says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And it says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, and we all shrivel up like a leaf. Why is he crying out about sin? And Because sin saps the very life out of us. Okay, What he's saying here is it's like a leaf that comes detached from the tree. When the leaf is attached to the tree, man, it's green. It's got life. It continues to give life. It, it, it actually bursts forth from a bud and, and becomes a leaf. It has life to it. But the minute it becomes detached from the tree, man, it shrivels up. It dries up. It cracks. And then it says the wind just comes and whisks it away. That's what he's saying is that sin saps our energy. It saps our desire for life. It saps all the good out of us. And so he's saying, I lament that. Isaiah uses that illustration. So it's been said, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And so sin and apathy and rebellion saps our, our very life. The next thing is sin and apathy and rebellion breaks our fellowship with God. Verse 7, it says, no one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Our sin breaks our fellowship. And I'm using that word fellowship. If you've been in the launching multipliers with us, you, you understand this language. Because as believers, 
We can never sever our relationship with God. If you put your faith in Christ, you are a believer. You are a son or a daughter of God. That is not going to change based on your behavior. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to disown that. God is always with you. He's never going to sever that relationship with him, but your fellowship with him can be severed. Those of you that are parents in the room, when your teenager came and said, hey, Dad, I don't care what you say. I'm doing whatever I want to do. Does that sever the fellowship? Does that, does that kind of put some tension on the relationship? Those of you that have teenagers are smiling at me right now. If you were a teenager and you did that to your parents, did it sever some of the fellowship, some of the warm and fuzzy feelings you had towards your parents? Though that severs the relationship and sin severs, it doesn't sever the relationship, it severs the fellowship with God. And so sin severs our fellowship with God. We, we don't feel his presence. He didn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us, but we don't sense his presence with us in walking with us every day. And so it breaks that fellowship. And so I want to move on to the last section there. He goes on to celebrate the grace and mercy that restores us anyway. Look at verse 8 there. And I underlined and, and, uh, and highlighted the word yet. That word yet is the best word in this entire 64, 1 through 9. Yet. Hey, we've rebelled against you, God. We've, we've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. He's talking about the people of Israel. And you might relate to that and say, hey, I've done whatever I wanted to. I've rebelled against God. I've gone my own way. Or maybe you've lived that way in the past. And yet you get to this place and you say, yet, oh Lord, you are still my father. You're still my father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all a work of your hand. Don't be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. So he talks about the sin, but then he goes back and says, but yet, kind of like my teenager, but, but dad, you're still my dad. You're still my father. Would you turn your heart back towards me? Would you be compassionate towards me? So how can we be saved? In the Old Testament, it was still by grace. Through faith. It's trusting in God. It's by grace that you are saved. Through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's only by God's grace. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. Oh, yeah, we have rebelled, yet, God, would you still be our father? You're still our father. That hasn't changed. The relationship hasn't changed. And so it's by your grace through our faith in Christ. They were, in the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming of Christ. Us in the New Testament, and we're looking back on the coming of Christ, but we're both need, in need of a Savior. And so he says, you're still our Father, and then he says, you're a potter. And what he's saying there is, you can remake us. Right? I know we've done our thing. I know we're broken. I know things look ugly. This thing is not the way it should be, but yet you're the potter. And so you can throw us back on that wheel and you can mold and make us into the people that you would have us to be. Isn't that good news? You see, that's the gospel. The good news is no matter where you've been and what you've done, how far you've gone, the gospel says, yet God, <laughs> yet God, you can still make great things. You can make beautiful things out of this ugliness that I've made. Do you believe that this morning? He says, you are the potter. So I don't know if you've seen... Uh, what they call the Landfill Harmonica, which is a, uh, a documentary. I think, it's on, I think it's on Netflix. 
but it's about the recycled orchestra from uh, Paraguay. It's a full orchestra, including violins and cellos and drums and all kinds of instruments that are literally made out of the trash heap, this recycling place that they're dumping loads and loads and loads of trash. And this this man had this idea of making violins, and they're literally made out of pipes. They're made out of old old tin cans and all kind of oil cans and, and old spoons. and all. You need to see this documentary. It's amazing. And literally, they are playing these violins all over the world in some of the most beautiful places around that they made out of a trash heap in Paraguay. It's called the Recycled Orchestra. And you see, that's what God does with us. That's what God does with all of our mistakes, all of our old stuff, all of our brokenness. He takes all of that, he puts it together, and he makes it into something that's extremely beautiful that others are amazed at. They say, how did God bring that out of what you've done in the past? How did God do that out of your brokenness? And guess what? We, and notice again the we's and the us and all that are in that, those final verses. Why is that? Because we need each other, just like an orchestra needs one another. That God would put us together as a church family and that people would be amazed at like, wow, I knew that girl before God did that work in her. I knew that guy. I, I, I knew your pastor. How, God, how did God use that, Right? How did God take brokenness and trash and stuff that people were discarding and and didn't even want anymore, and you don't even want those things anymore, and somehow God works that together and puts it together and makes it something beautiful that God can use you to help others understand His grace and His mercy, both in your life and what God can do in their lives. And when we put all of that together and we all come together and go, Man, we all are broken. We all got broken pieces. We're in this together. Then people stand back and go, wow, that's what the church is supposed to be. And that's what we're praying that Clear Fork Community Church would be. Broken people that God's put back together. So this prophetic prayer, so this Isaiah 64 is a prophetic prayer. It's a prayer of God, and it has individual It has familial, it has national, it even has cosmic implications for us this morning. So you see, this is a prayer for you as an individual. You might say, oh God, would you come down and reveal yourself to me? Would you help me as you have in the past, remembering what he's done in the past for you? I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I've even denied, maybe denied your existence. I know that I've been apathetic. I know that I have not sought you or looked to you, but (laughs) you're still my father. And would you do a work in me? You see, that's the purpose of the Advent, to celebrate the first coming and continue to anticipate his second coming in light of the hope and anticipation of what God will do. So would you make that your prayer this morning? Would you say, hey, as an individual, I'm praying this prayer, Isaiah 64. As a family, maybe this morning you need to pray this as a family. Maybe as a small group, your your, your small group gets together and says, hey, God, would you come down? Would you reveal yourself? We realize we've turned away from you, but we want to, to walk with you. You're still our father. Would you make that your prayer as a small group, even as a church? I want us to pray this together as a church 
and ask God to do this through us. And then ultimately, even as a nation, can you imagine as a nation, if we prayed this prayer, that God would truly do something among us, that God would stir us up and make us the nation that we have been in the past and and that God would have us be in the future. So I want us to ask, ask you to, to bow your head. We're going to close here in just a moment. Let's pray this prayer together. I'm going to lead us through Isaiah 64. And so I want you to take it from just some guy talking on a stage, some guy that's got some notes, and I want you to take it off the page, and I want you to, to bring it home to your own life. So let's pray this together. Would you just say, oh God, would you, would you come down? Would you rend the heavens and would you come down and make yourself known? I, I want to, to know your presence in my life. Would you just pray that? God, would you act on, on my behalf? Would you, the things that are worrying you, the things that you're concerned about, would you, would you just lay those before him right now? Praying scripture is powerful. So in verse 4, it's an ancient time. No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Would you just say, God, I'm waiting on you? Would you set your mind and your heart to do what God wants you to do? Would you open up your hands and open up your heart and say, God, I just want to be obedient to you. And he says, I'm gladly, I'm, I want to enable that. And then would you ask him to forgive you if you've gone your own way, you've done your own thing. Just say, God, would you create in me a clean heart? you renew a right spirit within me let's pray that together as as a church family God would you do a work in us take our brokenness forgive us and then also would you just be reminded that you are a son or daughter of God If you put your faith in Christ, he's not left you, he's not forsaken you, he's still your father, and turn back to him. And ask him to make beauty out of ashes. Ask him to put you back on the potter's wheel and make something beautiful out of what maybe you've made a mess of. Would you pray that for your marriage? Would you pray that for your family? God, we pray that for our church. We pray that for Clearport, that God, you would make something beautiful out of the the brokenness in this room. We don't even know one another's stories completely. And yet we know that we need you and that you can do great things through our brokenness. So would you make something beautiful out of our brokenness. You are the potter.
God, we just say we are your people. So this morning, if you don't know the gospel, if you really don't understand what is this whole Christmas thing about, the birth of Christ, the second coming and all of that, I don't understand all of that. I don't really understand the gospel. Would you just let us know that, just filling out one of those cards, placing it in the box in the back. We would love to be able to have a conversation with you. Please feel free to come up at the end here as we sing or afterwards and talk to me. Thanks so much for listening to the Clear Fork Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, head to clearforkchurch.org. Take heart, Fort Worth. He has overcome the world. We hope to see you soon.